Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, Focusing on God's Peace. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. And now, let's join Pastor Ralph. Philippians chapter 4 today. It's where we've been for the last few weeks, and we're just kind of wrapping up this uh, series of teaching that I've called From Panic to Power, uh, Moving from Despair to Destiny, come to a place where we are really allowing God uh, more access to our life, more control in our life, uh, that we're coming to a place where we're experiencing God's peace. And, and this week I called the message, Learning to Focus on God's Peace. Focusing on God's peace, you know. Are, are, are you the kind of person that will lay awake sometimes at night? You got problems that just sort of get in your brain and, and then they won't leave. And, and maybe you got three or four things going on and you're, you're thinking about the one thing. You got some financial issue and, and you're thinking about it. And pretty soon you, you, you just got to get yourself to sleep. So you got to stop thinking about it. And boom, you're thinking, thinking about the argument you got into with somebody three days ago. And then you finally pry yourself loose from that. And, and you're thinking about some project that you got planned around the house. You know, I, I, I can just do this forever. It just can get endless if I, I let it. And, and the, the Bible is offering us some very, very practical advice in these five verses. We've, we will have spent today three weeks in, in looking at five verses of Scripture. And what it's really saying to us is there are alternatives. It's, you know, you can't get your mind into neutral. I mean, that, that's the whole thing that Buddhism's about. That's actually part of the point of the book, The Da Vinci Code, is to, the, the, the sexual climax brings you to a place where you are, your mind is in dead neutral, and now you know God. Well, it's kind of opposite of God saying he wants to reveal himself to us and that we can know about him and we can know what he wants to do. And so you, you, you come to this place where the Lord is saying, don't try to achieve neutrality. See, what I try to do sometimes when temptation comes or obsession or fear or worry or whatever is just get it out of my mind. In other words, I'd like to get from the negative into just plain neutral, ordinary. And it never works that way. God's saying to move from the negative into faith. Into faith. Not from the negative into the positive. You know, positive thinking and three and a half cup bucks will get you a nice cup of something at Starbucks. But it won't change your life. Positive thinking will not change your life. You know, you, you, you could be in a lawsuit. And you begin to think real positively about the outcome of that lawsuit. Well, you're going to go into court and what's going to happen is still going to happen. And thinking positively about it all the way in there isn't going to change anything. You know, some of the best readers in the world are in prison right now. You know, the old deal, men don't like to read. Well, I'll tell you, the guys in jail like to read. You know why? Because it's a way of escaping the mess that they're in. It's positive thinking, but it doesn't cause the bars to melt away. So we're talking about something that's spiritual, something that's powerful, something that taps into the miraculous as we learn to exchange the fears and the worries and the obsessions we have for faith in God who matters who changes things, who intervenes in our life. And that's what's being offered to us as, as we're here. But we're learning to 
to refocus. I'm focused on this. I'm changing. I'm fixing my thoughts on what God can do. And we'll go from there. Does that make sense? Well, as, as we get into it, I want to just give you a little review. I want you to go back over uh, the verses. We started with verse 4. Uh, we've been at this three weeks. It's, it starts out, Paul is writing. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice. Literally says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say it, you rejoice. You know, get happy about the fact that there is a God and that he loves you and he cares for you. You know, this. It, it, we used to like to say about our church, we promise to love you as is. Well, you know why we say that? Because God makes that promise. He'll love you as you are. No matter how broken you are, no matter how mixed up you are, no matter what a wreck your life is, when you come to God, he accepts you. You know, do you ever think about the way that children are born into this world? There's a reason that the Bible uses uh, metaphors like we are born again when we're born into God's family. You know, spiritually, there's a rebirth. It's because when babies come into the world, they're, they're, they're yucky. I mean, they're all covered with gunk when they're born. Somebody's got to slap them on the bottom to even get them to be smart enough to breathe. Then they spend the next couple of years as, as not much more than an eating, sleeping, pooping machine. <laughs> they require a lot of care. And here we are. We come to God and we think somehow we've got to clean our act up before we can be born into God's family. It's ridiculous. God loves you the way you are. He loves you with a father love. He just, just he accepts you the way you are. And we should rejoice in that. That's a starting place. And, and then it goes on and it says, that may, let everyone know that you're considered in all you do. And we spent some time talking about this. That it really it gets down to don't be a, a vengeful person. So one of the things that will take you down faster than anything is hating somebody else. You know, there are very real justifiable wrongs that happen in people's lives. That this is a terrible thing. It should not have happened. But you can choose to wallow in it the rest of your life. You can sit around and scheme the demise of that other person. How do you like to take their kneecaps off? You know, you can think about all those things. Or you can leave it up to the Lord who says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We talked about how sometimes when we seek revenge, all we do is get in God's way. He's trying to whack them. Because, you know what? God loves even the person that's wronged you. And he would like to, he would like to deal with the wrong in their life hoping to use the discipline to bring them to himself. And then we get in the way of it. You know, we, we learned to just learn how to bless somebody, how to, how to pray that God will bless them. Because, you know, sometimes the blessing comes in the form of a two-by-four. Um, but God, God wants, you just pray bless them. Don't, don't sit around and scheme how you're going to get even with them. Because that destroys the peace of mind, the peace of heart that God wants to give you. And it keeps God out of the picture to do the supernatural stuff that he can do. It goes on in, in verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all what, that he has done. Now, here's this, this exchange. Don't worry about anything. Easier said than done. I just won't worry. You know, it's like temptation. Anything that you say you're not going to think about, that's what you're thinking about. So what do you do? You exchange worry for these three things. It says, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he has done. 
the, the translators in this particular translation, which is the easiest to read Bible that there is, that's why we're using it, they, they get a little wordy sometimes. When it says pray about everything and then it says tell God what you need, it's actually two different, totally different phrases just like that in the Greek language. But it literally says worship about everything and then pray about everything. Worship about everything, what's that mean? God, I'm facing this problem. I didn't anticipate how much I owe the IRS. I'm freaking out here. I don't know where it's coming from. But I worship you over this problem. I acknowledge that you are bigger than this and that you have resources that I don't have. I worship you in spite of the problem. In the face of the problem, I, I praise the Lord. Does that make sense? The second thing you do is you pray about it. God, I need some money. I need it in a hurry. <laughs> And I think what you also don't do is set boundaries. God, you have to do this this way. Because God sometimes has, you know, lots of options and we've we got one in our mind and we fixate on that. And so you 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 start to worship God over your problems, you start to pray through your problems, and the last thing it says is be thankful. You know, giving thanks for all he has done. When I'm thanking the Lord, what I like to do is is the memorable things in my life that he has done. The real jams he got me out of. One of the things about this prayer journal that we give away to people who are new in the church, and you can buy one in the bookstore if you need another because you filled it up, is I like to write down, that when, when I pray for stuff, I write it down. If it's significant at all, I write it down. And I date the time that I wrote it down. And I come back later on, and I, I make room in there that I can write down the answer, and I date the answer. And sometimes when I'm just low, and I feel like everything's coming apart and there's nothing I can do. I just go back and read that and thank the Lord for what he's done. What am I doing? I'm trading worry and fear and depression for faith. And faith moves the hand of God. Does that make sense? Remember the story of the, the lady that came to Jesus and, and she, he, he was in a crowd of people and, and she, she touched his clothes. She said, if I can touch the hem of his garment... I'll be healed. She, she was hemorrhaging. She was bleeding internally for 12 years. I mean, this lady is a person who gets up in the morning with hardly any energy to go anywhere because that's what happens when you do that. And she, she struggles all the way through her life and she hears about Jesus healing people and she, she reaches out and you know if you're a little kid in Sunday school you see a picture and she's probably reaching down touching the bottom of his, of his robe that he wore. More likely she touched his sleeve. And Jesus wheels around and says, who touched me? And the disciples go, are you low, low? What do you mean who touched you? There's a whole crowd of people banging into you. And he goes, no. I felt virtue go out of me. What does that mean? A combination of righteousness and power. Something, walked, something left me. And, it was, and I felt the response. This is Jesus who's God's Son come in the flesh. I felt power go out of my body to somebody who touched me in faith. See, different than getting bumped in the crowd. Somebody touched me in faith. And it's that touching God in faith that we're talking about in these verses. Does this make sense? Well, let's go a little further. I think you'll like my next slide there. Uh, this is an operating room. Don't know what's being done there. But I want you just to ask yourself, what do you think these people are thinking about as they're getting ready to cut this person open. Huh? You know, they're probably sitting around going, hey, remember that time you left that sponge in that guy? 
Or uh, uh, this one, he probably will die. Not much hope for this one. I wish I would have read the books in medical school that covered this. <laughs> I had the flu that, that those two weeks. I'm really, I, I mean, what do you think they're thinking? And what are they fixing their thoughts on? Horrible outcomes? I don't know. Positive outcomes. They're looking for the best. They're expecting things to work out, to work well. What do you fix your thoughts on? See, in the first part of verse 8, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right? It goes on and on. But just the, the, the idea, fix your thoughts. Take inventory, is literally what it's saying. Take inventory of, of the good possibilities. Take inventory of right outcomes. See, what we do is we, we start to, to, to get in a jam, and we take inventory, all right, but we take inventory of all the things that could possibly go wrong. And then we mentally go down those paths and they usually end up in despair and loss and destruction. You know, you can take yourself from having some minor financial crisis into worrying that you're going to lose your job and worrying that you're going to lose your house and then worrying that you're going to lose your family and then, and then if Satan has his way, he's going to be whispering in your ear and you might as well go ahead and kill yourself now instead of later. You know, fix your thoughts on right outcomes. Focus your attention on, on what God can do if he's given a chance. Does this make sense to you? Here's the best thing that you can do in that situation. Ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me, and tell me what you would like to see happen in the midst of this, so I can pray that back to you. You tell me what you're looking for, and I'm going to pray that back to you. And I'm going to focus, if I'm going to obsess, I'm going to obsess on those things. Now see, this is not positive thinking. This is interacting with God in faith, asking God to reveal the possibilities, and then begin to pursue those in your prayers, in your thoughts, in your obsessions, if, if need be. You know, in Romans chapter 12, it tells us to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And that, you know, my little grandkids are going out for soccer. Their parents are going to present them to a soccer coach. As a living sacrifice. Uh, do, do with them what you do. That's literally what God is asking us to do. Is to come to him as the, as the, as the grand coach. And present ourselves and say, here I am. You know, living sacrifice doesn't mean you, you die. It means you live. And it means you live well. And that things work. And God coaches you. And your life counts for something. And there's significance. The next verse says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You be changed from the inside out by God teaching you how to think. You know, that's why we're sitting here in church this morning. That's why you read your Bible. I know people that read their Bible for the dumbest of all re reasons, and that's religion. It, it, it'll, make me, it'll make God somehow like me better if I read the Bible every day. In other words, it's like doing penance. Not. See, I want to read this book because it changes the way I think. God's teaching me how to think. Why do you come to church? So God won't get mad at you? Get brownie points in heaven? No, you come to church to learn how to think. You know, I, 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 
I get really frustrated. I bump into people downtown. I bump into people in the mall. I haven't seen them for a while. How you doing? Oh, terrible. Well, I haven't seen you around for a while in church. I know. You know, what happened? Well, yeah, we went on vacation. And I just never came back to church. And now I'm fighting with my wife. And she's about to, she got a restraining order on me. And, you know, just, eh, 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 eh. And, and you go, well, well, where you been? I mean, you, you, you need the rest of us in your life. You need to get coached. You need to learn about the things of the Lord. You need to learn how to act right. That's why you come to church. That's why you get in the Word. Does that make sense? It says, be, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. God's Word will change you. This is why it's important. If, if I wasn't the pastor, I wouldn't come to church five times a weekend. I'm paid to do that. But if I wasn't the pastor, I wouldn't miss church. I wasn't always a pastor. If I was in town and I wasn't sick, I was there. You know, I, you need it. You need to have the constant refreshing and renewing. Paul goes on in that same passage and he says, and we talked about this last week a little bit, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And in Hawaii, we're really good at that. Oh yeah, I don't want no pride. But see, we get prideful over not having pride. We live in such a shame culture. I grew up in Oregon. It's a guilt culture. It's very different. You know, like I, I'm Irish. Irish moms are really good at guilt. My mom wasn't, but the ones around me sure were. And there's a lot of German people. They're really good at guilt, you know. And we have ways of making you do things, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I came to Hawaii, and the thing that I'm so shocked about is this shame deal. And everybody lives under this cloud of shame. And nobody can ever admit that they do anything well because that would be prideful. But see, we, that's, that's a certain kind of pride in its whole self. Is we're prideful about sitting back and not, having, not, not acting boastful. God says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then he starts asking questions. What are you good at? What did I make you good at? What are spiritual gifts? And, he, and see, watch, you present your body to God like a coach. And now he's saying, don't think yourself too hot over here. But what are you really good at? Let's get that and develop it. Let's make this life turn into something really worth living. Let God teach you. If, you, if you're a person who grew up in shame, you'll never volunteer for anything. You always think that you've got to be third rate. And you let God teach you how to think because he wants to put good stuff in front of you in terms not just of what you think, but what happens in your life. Am I getting anywhere with this? Are you there? Good. And we're barely started. I'm going to preach for three hours and ten minutes at this rate. Well, he goes on, he says, let's think about things. Take an inventory of these things. What is true and honorable? And, and it really just means... You know, what is honest? Think about honesty and, and honesty prevailing. Think about your own life, the times that you have a chance to cheat on something or, or to lie your way out of something. Think about instead of doing that, being honest and being straight and trusting God that if I go ahead and, and be honest and fess up and take the heat, God's going to turn the ugly thing that might happen here into something good. It goes on and says, think about what is right. And the word right means... Isn't that a beautiful picture? And one of the guys in the church, 
uh, one of the guys in the worship team took these pictures that we're using this weekend. And, and that, that picture, I thought the word right really fit with that picture. It just looks like, you know, Kaneohe Bay, glassy as can be, Chinaman's hat out there. Wouldn't you just like to be just out there in one of those boats trying to read a book but taking a nap instead? Uh, just, just works really good. But the, the word right means equitable, fair, on balance. Think about things turning out equitably. Think about things turning out fairly. You know, you're in some situation at work and office politics are about to sink your ship. Well, as you lay awake and think about it, you start to focus on God turning it out right so that things come into balance and that fairness prevails. And you begin to not just thinking that positive thinking will make a difference. No, you're praying, you're trusting, you're entrusting yourself to God, you're touching the hem of his coat, expecting God to do something good and making something right come out of something that's potentially wrong or very wrong. He goes on, he says, think about things that are pure. Now the word purity is an is a, is a interesting word to me because we always think of something as pure as, as you know, being kind of holy or sometimes it's, it's, it's beyond us or whatever. And, and in fact, the word here actually has to do with sexual purity. It, it means things that are that are that are that are chaste, things that are modest. There's a certain kind of a righteousness there. And what he's actually saying is, you know, don't sit around and go to seed on lust. But he also is saying, don't put yourself in a behavior pattern that causes lust to come out of other people. You know, sometimes we we, we you know I I know. You know, you talk to guys that are locked up in pornography. I don't know a single man that says, I'm into pornography and I enjoy it. Anybody who's, who's, who's struggling with pornography is struggling with pornography. They're struggling. It's a, it's a bondage. It's a prison to them. They're not liking it. It's an addiction. Does that make sense? But it, it's saying something of our society here. That the words would mean innocent, modest. Chase, clean. You know, there, there's just a whole lot. We use, we sell soap with sex. People act flirtatious. People flaunt their bodies. Both sexes do this. And we set people up for difficulty. And he's saying, don't you be like that. Don't be like that kind of a person. And, and don't focus your mind on that kind of stuff. You know, I... I had a friend once in California came to me who was struggling because he was lusting after another man's wife in the church. And we talked it through and, 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 and he made a decision. He knew what he was going to do. He went to the guy and said, you know, I, I told the pastor about this and I'm telling you about this. I don't want anybody else to know about it. I'm struggling. They were friends. I have this struggle. There's this woman I'm, I'm, I'm just lusting after and I need, need to be held accountable. But the reason that I came to tell you is, it's your wife. And I want you to be able to look me in the eye and say, how are you doing? And I'll know that I can't lie to you. <laughs> That's good, huh? That's a good down payment. But you know where else he took it? He said that 
that he began to pray for that family every time that Satan would bombard him with those lustful thoughts. See, you can't go to neutral. You know, you see something, you, you, you know, some these pictures, usually the pictures that I got on the screen, I go to Google and then the images and I type in Winston Churchill, you know, and in the midst of it, some sex pot comes up, you know, and, and, and you, you can look through 400 images, but there's always going to be something. You have a choice to make. Am I going to sit here and focus on this or am I just going to move on? <laughs> 